0: Knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show. The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chen Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Our thanks to... Uh... Niobe Thompson and and Darren Fung for joining us to talk about their project, The Great Human Odyssey. It's certainly got an interesting conversation going on our text line to 630-630. Oksana says, I'm surprised that that Niobe Thompson believes that evolution is moving fast at the moment. Survival of the fittest may still be true, but caution warnings and, and modern technology and medicine are allowing those that are not as fit... To keep surviving. Randy Man is skeptical. Says, tell me, has evolution ever been a proven fact? Eddie says, I love the comment about the stupid getting rewarded. He says, I also think we reward lazy as well. Lyle says, I worked with a gentleman once who had a, oh geez, really good man sweater going on. Says he was hairier than my German shepherd. Says he saw me with a t-shirt one day, asked me if I shaved my arms. I said, no, I'm just a little further removed from the ape than you are. (laughs) that <laughs> from Lyle. Well done. I wonder, should we have an evolution versus creation debate? Would you have an appetite for that? Maybe as a Friday roundtable. let me know what you think to 630, 630. If you'd like to see it, if you think that would provide value, I think that could be interesting radio. We'll turn the page here for a second. The Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors, I don't know if you want to call it a, a breaking point. I don't know if you do. You call it the last straw, but they they've launched a new campaign. Maybe they're feeling like Canada's Rodney Dangerfield. They don't get no respect. But if you check out oilrespect.ca, they're demanding it. The president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors is Mark Schultz. Joining us on the phone this morning, Mr. Schultz. Good morning to you.
1: Brian, thanks for having me on the program and highlighting this important campaign.
0: Yeah, well, what prompted it? Why is this so necessary?
1: Well, I think it started with the fact that, you know, our industry, um, are the we, we just are the best in the world at, in so many areas. We have the best people, the best equipment, the best technology, the best regulatory environment. And I think it, it came to a point we were just tired of radical environmentalists, grandstanding politicians, uh, media elites uh, that continue to spread misinformation and, quite frankly, lies about our industry that benefits so many Canadians. And this campaign is all about giving regular Canadians, regular Western Canadians, regular Albertans an opportunity to stand up, demand respect for their industry, because we are the best in the world, and we provide Canadians with so many opportunities uh, coast to coast.
0: Well, Mark, you've got the floor right now. So when you talk about lies and misinformation, what are you referencing? What what perpetuates itself out there from a messaging standpoint that you specifically take issue with?
1: Well, I think we always get hit by you know the radical environmentalists that we are laggards on the environmental front. And that just is just so far from the truth. I mean, it was... Uh, Alberta was the first oil-producing, exporting-producing uh, uh, region to the United States that first introduced in 2007. Climate change uh, regulations put a, a, a price on carbon, the first of its kind out of any major oil-producing region anywhere in the world, took climate change seriously, and that was back in 2007. And, in fact, we've seen even tougher climate change initiatives here in the province, uh, with um, the pre- Premier Nodley introducing the climate leader, uh, leadership uh, program here with uh, a $30 carbon-wide um, uh, 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 price on carbon, economy-wide, I mean, um, here in the province of Alberta, which will be instituted in 2018. There is no other oil-producing region uh, on the planet that takes climate change so seriously. And you know, when you look at the improvements in, uh, you know, in reductions in emissions per barrel in the oil sands, we've seen a 30% reduction in GHG emissions since 1990, and uh, and and some three billion dollars have been invested in uh, green infrastructure and and innovation in the uh, oil sands. So, you know, it's time to stand up. It's time to start respecting facts, respecting the environment, and respecting an industry that is an environmental leader.
0: Do you believe that you have the provincial government, and do you believe that you have the federal government backing you right now?
1: Well, we certainly are asking for a lot more uh, than what we're getting today. I mean, I think certainly on uh, here at home in in, uh, the province of Alberta, I think the premier is uh, certainly um, uh, highlighting some of the the important messages about uh, market access and, and pipeline infrastructure. I would say uh, on the federal side, I you know, I don't think we're doing enough. I mean, in the throne speech when this new federal government came into office, there wasn't a mention of the 100,000 people across the country that are unemployed uh, in this region. There wasn't a mention about the leadership in the oil and gas uh, industry whatsoever. And so, um, you know, when the prime minister comes out to uh, Edmonton a couple weeks back and tells many Albertans to hang on uh hold tight you know that's just not acceptable um, we need a champion on the federal scene uh for pipelines this is important i mean let's let's look at the facts here about 46% of canadian oil and gas uh oil for that matter is imported uh from countries like nigeria algeria and uh, angola uh these are some of the most corrupt regimes on the planet and we can't even provide our own domestic market uh, with environmentally responsibly uh, sustainable um, Western Canadian uh, products to Eastern Canada. We have to do better. And so federal leadership is important, and we want the Prime Minister to come out and champion these pipelines. We don't need a referee. We need a champion.
0: Hmm. Who there's there's very different styles at play in neighboring provinces. If you take a look at how Alberta's Premier Rachel Notley is approaching this versus how Saskatchewan's Premier Brad Wall is is championing the energy industry, are you inclined to support one approach over the other, and why?
1: Well, you know, I think you know. First of all, I think both approaches have their advantages, and I think we're. Um, I think we're probably to an advantage in terms of having both uh, both personalities, both um, ways of articulating, I think, a very common message. You know, and one of the messages that I think has to be sent very clearly is, you know, if you look at uh, right now, uh, federally, we're looking at an $18 billion deficit. And one of the major reasons for the fact that we are in a deficit position federally is because of the slumping energy industry. And when you look at, uh, you know, over the next 20 years, the oil sands is gonna be contributing some $1.2 trillion in taxes to both the federal and provincial government uh, uh, treasuries. And uh, that's something that, you know, I think any political leader has to start thinking about, well, how do we ensure that that happens? The IEA came out and said that, you know, based on commodity prices, we're gonna see, you know, a um, a potential slowdown in oil sands development. Well, we're not going to see those benefits from government revenues, from job creation, from opportunities across the country if we can't get this product to market. So I think both uh, personalities, both um, uh, negotiating tactics, if you will, are uh, are hopefully going to be heard very clearly uh, by the federal government.
0: Mark Schultz is our guest, president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors. We heard from the feds yesterday, specifically Finance Minister Bill Morneau, who gave Canadians the first heads up, uh, we'll call it the test balloon, that the federal deficit could be $16 billion. Let's call it 20 until we actually see what it's going to look like, which would start to flirt with about double what the Prime Minister said he was prepared to do to keep the economic engine running. Do you think, Mark, that it actually serves the oil industry and particularly western provinces better when Canada starts looking at a bigger deficit? Does it reiterate the importance of energy revenue?
1: Well, you know, and I think it's unfortunate that we have to kind of come to this this type of scenario where... You know, um, the energy industry down uh, basically on its heels right now in, in incredible desperation. So many families out of work for it to come to this, the, to the realization that, man, I guess the energy industry is very important to, you know, to Canadians. Um, you know, you look at the infrastructure spending that the federal government is contemplating here in in, uh, in 2016. Um, in 2014, I mean, I think they're talking about five to 10 billion uh, billion dollars in infrastructure spending. In 2014, the oil and gas industry uh, in, uh, injected 80 billion dollars in private sector investment into the Canadian economy. It is, you know, pales in comparison to what the federal government is doing from a stimulus plan. So. You know, I think it's important that we start recognizing that this industry is important. It's a huge economic engine, 500,000 direct and indirect uh, jobs, uh, uh, you know, across across the country, $14 billion a year in government revenue that's uh, generated into uh, federal and provincial coffers to hire nurses and teachers and build schools for our children. Um, you know, it's, uh, the facts speak for themselves an important industry. So let's get back to the campaign. Oil respect is highlighting these facts and it's, we encourage people to go to our Facebook page, oil respect, and, and, uh, follow us on Twitter at oil respect, go to our website, sign our petitions. We have two petitions that is calling on federal and provincial, uh, action on pipelines. We're calling on the federal government and the Alberta government to, uh, uh, call on a day, uh, February 13th, in 2017, Oil and Gas Awareness Day, to have one day out of 365 days set aside to recognize the contribution of our men and women who work in this industry, who provide, uh, you know, revenue for for governments, and uh, and we are just the most responsible. Uh, uh, developers of our of, um, of our resources, and we should be recognized for it.
0: And when somebody demands respect, regardless of the context, it's likely to raise eyebrows. Is this also a message that's aimed squarely at Eastern politicians, including Montreal's mayor?
1: Well, you know, absolutely. So, I mean, let's let's talk about Quebec. In the lifetime of the equalization program, Quebec received two hundred billion dollars in equalization payments, Ontario 17 billion, Alberta, Saskatchewan and BC received a hundred million dollars. The only reason why we can have a program like that is because we have a highly functional uh, productive resource, energy, uh, resource industry in Western Canada and nobody is disputing the fact that as Canadians we need to support one another. But when that sort of revenue comes out of Western Canada because of our prosperity to help other Canadians um, you know, provide uh, resources and, and social programs to their population, that, that type of support needs to be recognized and given respect. And I think it's, it's, it's high time that uh, Central Canada, Eastern Canada look at this industry uh, and give it the and, and the respect that it deserves.
0: Now, no, Mark, obviously you've got a bias here. You've got a dog in the fight. It makes perfect sense. Uh, people are comparing, you know, uh, the oil industry's woes to those experienced right now by Bombardier. Several people have have referenced uh, government investment, if you want to call it bailouts, in the auto industry uh, a short time ago. How do you compare these dueling narratives?
1: Well, in fact, I can tell you that you know we aren't looking for a bailout like uh, Bombardier, we we aren't looking for a bailout like the auto sector, but it's very interesting that in times of need, uh, those industries, when they do uh, face a patch of economic uh, challenges, the federal government certainly is quite quick to announce uh, support. And all we're looking for, Ryan, today is we want to champion on pipelines because we want to supply Canadians and we want to supply the international community with Canadian responsible energy products. It does not make sense that the most progressive, the leader when it comes to environmental performance should be shut out of international markets when it comes to our energy in, uh, industry. And we need federal support to get that done. I mean, right now we're seeing the, the federal government come out and provide a lack of confidence and a lack of appreciation for the NEB process and. Uh, and and our provincial regulatory regulator bodies that uh, look over our energy industry I can tell you you reach out to any regulator across the country that looks over the ener- energy industry and they are are, um, are sought out internationally uh, by other energy jurisdictions to help them establish uh, best practices help them establish you know how do we uh, how do we produce our Resources like the Canadians do. So, if that is the case, if we're already seen internationally um, in that in that light, uh, we have to have a federal government that sticks up for this industry and gets pipelines built, both east-west, uh, so that we can get to tidewater and supply Canadians. With Western Canadian products.
0: Mark Schultz is our guest. Mark, hang tight for a second. I'll fit in a quick break. When we come back, you've heard it on this show time and time again. Politicians, including those representing the federal government, Randy Blossino, the MP for Edmonton Centre, was in here just the other day telling us, hey, the grits aren't against pipelines like Energy East. It just has to go through the process. It's in front of the NEB, the National Energy Board. We've got to respect due process. I want Mark Schultz's take on that. Is that a smokescreen or is that a valid reason to take pause? That's where we'll go next. The campaign Oil Respect. You can learn more at oilrespect.ca. Our guest this half hour, the president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors, Mark Schultz. Mark, thanks for holding the line. We've been told several times on this show that the federal government can't do anything until the National Energy Board completes its assessment of the Energy East pipeline. Is that a smokescreen or is that legit?
1: Well, first of all, I think the federal government can help by committing to the existing NEB regulatory processes, which already puts in place a consideration for environmental impacts. Uh, Even before uh, the government has recently added on uh, additional layers of environmental assessment, I can tell you that there is more environmental study, engineering study, transparency and evaluation now than at any point in the history of our regulatory process for these Pieces of infrastructure, and the outcome uh, will be a system of energy that moves seamlessly, uh, you know, know, to markets that um, that we desperately need. Let's go back to uh, a fact here that the IEA came out here and and said that the global demand for energy is going to increase by 37% by 2040. Uh, Fossil fuels, even by 2040 will still make up 75% of the energy demands. I can tell you that there is a window of opportunity here for Canada to get its responsible products to market so that we can ensure that countries like the United States, Saudi Arabia, Iraq and Iran who have uh, less labor standards, human rights standards, environmental standards than Canadian products, we need to ensure that the globe is supplied by responsible Canadian products. The world does not need oiling Canadian oil and gas. The world just needs oil and gas, and we need to demand that uh, this this uh, industry is respected and is allowed to get its products to market.
0: Mark, we've got a whole bunch of passionate viewer feedback. I want to I want to butt uh, two comments together, and then I'll let you respond to them both in one. Layton says, uh, please ask Mark Schultz how much respect can be expected for an industry that's abandoned thousands of wells in Alberta and Saskatchewan and now expects taxpayers to cover the cleanup. Another listener, this is Cam, says, why aren't we hiring out-of-work riggers to close up the tens of thousands of abandoned wells? How do you respond?
1: Well, first of all, so he's referring to an initiative that Premier Wall uh, has uh, has called. It was. Uh, it's a very small initiative. About 150 million dollars that the province of Saskatchewan has called for in support of um, providing a what I would consider a very direct and targeted stimulus plan that would directly uh, put some of my members' service and drilling uh, contractors to work and provide you know some of our our employees who are sitting by the phone waiting for the rig manager to call them and say, hey, the rig's ready to go, let's get back to work. I think it's a targeted plan. But, you know, let's not, I know nobody at all is uh, taking away the responsibility of the producing community to clean up abandoned wells. That is a responsibility of that group. There's regulations in place that mandate that, and they will get cleaned up. But I think in a situation like this, a very unique situation like this, that we could have a targeted program that directly uh, impacts people who are who feel like they've been abandoned, quite frankly, by their governments. Um, you know, their EI is running out, families are losing their homes, businesses are going bra- bankrupt. This is something, a small token, to get some people back to work.
0: Mark, uh, we have time for one more question here from a listener who wonders, why aren't people demanding that leaseholders fire up rigs? Says it's not pipelines, it's the price of oil.
1: Well, there, there's no question that the price of oil is a, is a huge factor in the situation we're in today. But I think oil respect in the campaign is about getting uh, public policies in place or uh, support for public policies that get pipelines and infrastructure that we need to grow this business. I mean, you know, there's no question that at $30, it is an unsustainable business, but we need to ensure that when we recover from this, that we have a diversified market to supply the world with responsible Canadian energy so that we can get people back to work and we can get businesses back paying taxes so that we can get some $14 billion back into government coffers to supply Canadians with you know, government services that they so desperately need
0: all right the oil respect tour begins this thursday uh with a speaking engagement in red deer you can learn more details at oilrespect.ca mark schultz president of the canadian association of oil well drilling contractors thanks for your time thank you appreciate it here's the headlines you're listening to the ryan jesperson show on six thirty, 30 edmonton's breaking news and conversation station if you're just joining us we spent some time chatting with Mark Schultz. He's the president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors. A new campaign out. It's, essentially, it's, it's a marketing campaign for the Canadian energy industry. It's, it's marketing for Canadian oil and it's called Oil Respect. They're demanding more respect. Ryan from Pinocchio says, uh, this guy makes sense, so, you know, better not have him on again. He says, it's time to realize nobody cares about Alberta out east, and, you know, they just laugh at how stupid they think we are. So either we keep whining and say, poor us, or we cut bait. Ryan says, I bet once we start to threaten to leave, all of a sudden minds will change and maybe people will wake up. Well, that's an extreme way to go about it. Marty says, proactive rather than reactive. Why does it take times of desperation to get the attention of our federal government on the importance of pipelines? That's an interesting point to make. John says, I believe that most of the oil and gas companies have shown leadership, he says, but the fact remains, taxpayers are still on the hook for orphan wells and pipelines. He says, money should come from oil and gas to clean up environmental messes. He says, let's make that happen. Another listener, Steven, says your guest is 100% correct, but the media needs to be on board as well. Says there's a lot of foreign funding against our energy industry. Says I've been worried about this for seven years. People are just starting to fight back now. He says I support your guest. I just hope it's not too late. That from Steven. And if you're listening to the show on the regular, you know that Wednesdays at 10 AM, we bring you a special feature called Really Cool Jobs. And we've got a an important show tomorrow, which means that a special edition this week of Really Cool Jobs falls right now. I don't know if there's a cooler job than Distillery Manager. That's exactly what Alan Logan does at the Bruichladdie Distillery. How did I do, Alan? You've done well, Ryan. You've done very well. Very With your well. Scottish brogue, you'll yes. say it so much more beautifully. What's it called? Bruichladdie. Bricklady, so you're a distillery manager. Yeah, that's correct. We're lucky enough to have you here visiting our home province. Of course, your your full time gig keeps you in Scotland. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Where exactly?
2: So uh, Isla is a a small island on the west coast of Scotland. Um, It's a a very small island. We have a population of three thousand people. And what sets it apart? Because everybody everybody knows that that knows even just
0: the tiniest little bit about Scotch it depends or it matters where it comes from,
2: right? Yeah, totally, Ryan. Yeah, we've... um, Isla is a magical little island. as I say, it's only got a population of 3,000 people, but we have eight distilleries on the island. We've uh, we've been blessed because we've been given this magic ingredient called peat, so it allows us to make this really smoky, unique whiskey, uh, and it sets us apart from some of the other scotches that are available. You hear people reference peat oftentimes when they're talking about the makeup
0: of a scotch or when yeah. they talk about the influence on on the taste. Why is Eyeless Peat so different?
2: yeah well we 've got uh, a lot of it and it 's uh, readily available for for a fuel for drying the, the the barley during the process and that gives the the, the, malt, the barley a, a distinct uh, characteristic when we uh, make it, uh, use it to make whiskey um, It leaves that distinct smoky flavor in in the whiskey <laughs> um, there is peat available in Scotland, but it's not as available as an island. Uh, on Isla, Isla's, uh, as I say, there's, uh, half the island is made up of peat. So, yeah. Now, people here in Canada, we're, we're quite proud of our rye.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: down in the United States, of course, they're very proud of their bourbon yeah. and, and their Kentucky bourbon.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, when you came in here, you started talking about whiskey, which I suppose we would refer to as Scotch whiskey or Scotch. Yeah. Can you bring us up to speed on some of the different nuances? I understand it has to do with the corn or the rye or the mash. Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah. So, uh, making uh, whiskey well we make single malt whiskey uh, in scotland and single malt is a, a whiskey that's made a uh, categorically at the, the uh, one distillery now in scotland you can have a blended whiskey which can be a mixture of um, whiskey that's made at a single distillery and uh, sorry i might add that the, the ingredient the sole ingredient for making um, a single malt is barley um, whereas with um, like other whiskies, you can use uh, wheat or rye or corn or stuff. So it becomes a grain whiskey, um, which is commonly used. And, uh, you know, you can make up a blend with uh, using uh, a grain whiskey and a single malt and blend them together, and that becomes a blended scotch. But single malt is just a, a whiskey that's made from one distillery, and its so uh, barley is the, the main ingredient. In your estimation, our scotch, are single malt scotches...
0: The best? Do you do you even subtly turn your nose up at the rest?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, no. I mean, I think um, every every brand or uh, every uh, whiskey has its place. Um, we find that uh, single malt is kind of it's more it's uh, a premium at the premium end. It's it's um, it, I think it's an, uh, for people who really know their scotches and understand the kind of finesse and the quality of of, of the drink. Yeah. How would you prefer Your scotch
0: In particular Your whiskey To be consumed You know there There are people That'll have it neat There are people
2: That'll have it on the rocks What's your take Well um, We um, Don't Force anybody or don't tell anybody what, how to drink their whiskey. We uh, we create a natural whiskey. Um, we don't add artificial colouring to our whiskey. We don't chill filter it, um, which chill filtration is is a technical term for something that is quite commonly used where producers will extract the natural oils that uh, is in the whiskey from the distillation and from the maturation. Now, we leave that in for the consumer to take. So, our whiskey is, is relatively stronger uh, to begin with. Its Our whiskey is bald at 50%, but that gives it a it has a far richer mouthfeel. It's a far richer texture. The viscosity is very high um, because of these oils that are left in the whisky. Uh, we will find that when we, when you drink our whisky, as I say, it's got a uh, rich mouthfeel, but we like to, um, we say to people, you know, if you take a, a sip of it first and if you feel it's too strong, just add a little bit of water and keep just diluting it marginally until you find the optimum strength that your your palate is comfortable with. And it's, it's really cool because I think a lot of people will tend to drink it neat and, and then realize that you know the, the taste is so strong uh, because of these rich oils that are in the whiskey. So, yeah. yeah, but I mean, then, I guess then you have the equivalent of someone who
0: will, who will take their coffee through a French press or a bodum or, yeah. or really try to get it as oily and greasy yeah. as possible all the way up to the people that will have it with four creams and five sugars.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Now, one of the purposes of, of, of this segment that we do really cool jobs is to get inside the head of people that, that do unusual things for work. When we come back, I'd love to ask you how someone gets started as a distillery manager, what the journey's like. Plus, what's the connection between Scotch whiskey and gin? More with Alan Logan right after this. This special edition on Tuesday. Really cool jobs. Typically, this is a presentation every Wednesday morning, just after the 10 o'clock news. And we'll explain why just before we sign off today. A special show in in store tomorrow as well. Alan Logan joining us, the distillery manager of the Brooklady Distillery. Alan, we've got so many questions here. and, And listeners are chiming in as well with text messages to 630, 630. But why don't we start at the beginning? How does a guy become a distillery manager? I mean, what was your road to this job?
2: Yeah, well, it's quite simple. As I say, I grew up on the island of Islay. Uh, my family have been distilling for generations. I'm I'm now the fourth generation of my family to be working in the whiskey industry. And um, it was pretty much my ambition um, as a young child, because I grew up in a distillery, uh, to become a distiller. And I was lucky enough to get the opportunity. Um, my uh, mentor, my boss, was um, my coach when we were kids at sc- school. Uh, when we were young kids, he used to teach us on a Saturday morning at soccer. And... Um, when he was a uh, he was a head distiller at Bruichladdich when it uh, recently reopened in the year two thousand and one, uh, and I went to speak to him and he gave me the opportunity of uh, becoming his, his, his apprentice. So for the last fifteen years I've worked closely under uh, under Jim. Uh, he was and worked in the industry for fifty three years and he's just retired last year. Now, I would imagine there was a process to to develop your palate,
0: and and then to hone in on the exact type of taste you're trying to achieve with this particular. Yeah, blend. I mean,
2: it takes years to to experience that, and a, you know, uh, sampling you know hundreds and if not thousands of whiskies, and it, you know, it's it, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, you know, and uh, you know, working with Jim, uh, he he had a great passion for whiskey, a great knowledge, and um, it, I, I'm honoured to obviously work worked a man along beside him, and uh, I've got the opportunity to to gain some experience from him. Yeah. Uh, so when when you you're tasting uh, a whiskey like yours. Uh-
0: how different is the taste when it goes into? I'm assuming is it oak casks? Oak casks. Yeah. And and how long do you distill it for?
2: Uh, well, it, it, or age it, it for? Age it. Well, it, it varies uh, on, and it takes as long as it takes. You know, we don't force it. It's as we there was no formula and air process. We basically will the, when the whiskey is ready, it will be selected. Um, so it, there is um, it, there there is no timeline. It will take as long as it takes. So you don't do? I mean, from some distillers,
0: we'll see they have their 10 year, their 12 year, their 18 yeah, year.
2: No, we tend not to. Well, we have uh, some. Uh, our our products tend to be more vintages, more than you know. We'll do vintage releases, so we'll we'll declare the the year that it was uh, distilled, um, and that could be anything from eight years old up to you know uh, twenty three years old. You know, it's there's no, as I say, there's no formula in what we do.
0: But I would imagine there's a revenue side to every business. Does the distillery manager ever feel pressure where where you go? You know what? I, I think this needs another year, and they go. I think we need to get these bottles to market.
2: Yeah, no, we we've we've got healthy stocks, and I think we're in in, in good shape with. Um, our, our range that we, we have uh, comfort in that you know we've we've got whiskey available um, at any given time that we you know we so we've got sufficient whiskey available to put on the market. So yeah, how many cases would you do a year? Would you estimate approximately how many bottles would that be? Uh, well, we distill um, approximately about uh, somewhere in the region of about four million uh, bottles per year. Uh, but then we have to lay that down in casks, so we have to put that down. And each year, um, as the casks are uh, maturing, we get what is known as the angel share, the evaporation. So in Scotland, because the climate is quite cold, we typically get about 2% evaporation. Uh, so we lose that uh, to the, the atmosphere, and we call that the angel share. There's a great movie that was made yeah, about that. that's right, yeah. So um, the... So, depending on how long you leave the whisky it depends on how much you get after a certain length of time You know, after 10 years you could lose um, a certain percentage of, of the whisky um, and uh, typically now we're probably bottling about uh, about a million bottles or something thereabouts but Again, because we take about a million bottles each year, but we're also aging the remainder for further years, so that we've got further vintages in years to come. Who's drinking whiskey these days? I know, I know, it's not just retired old white guys. No, at all. Um, there's, there, I mean, it's 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 totally turned a corner. I think uh, you're seeing a new generation of of whiskey drinkers coming through. It's it's really cool for young guys that are coming in and they're getting to to know. Uh, um, they're about their, their drinks what they want and we find that you know there's there's the younger generation it's becoming more common that ladies are getting into drinking single malt so many uh, it's, it's 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 totally turned a corner it's not your grandfather's drink anymore
0: now I I asked a question here I said what's the connection between scotch and gin and, and we got a, a quick one-liner from a listener by the name of Rob who says the difference between scotch and gin is one sucks and the other is scotch now I'll certainly take issue with Rob's assertion because I'm a huge gin fan myself and my eyes just bugged out when i heard
2: that you distill one of my absolute favorites the botanist yeah that's right um we um are very progressive in what we do and we like to um explore new things and now we've we've done many um experiments with whiskey and, and challenging convention but we thought that um we would uh, have a, a couple of years ago in 2010 that we had this desire to do something, um, a different, create a different spirit, but using you know the same philosophy as what we do when we make whisky and and understanding your ingredients, trying to use local ingredients. And uh, we created the botanist gin using uh, 22 local botanicals that are hand-picked on the island that uh, we live on. And th- that goes far and above what many other gin distillers are doing. Why did you arrive at
0: 22?
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. So Jim, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my uh, mentor, he um, uh, has a, a fantastic uh, sensory um, Evaluation when it comes to smelling and tasting things, and he, um we, there was forty native uh, flowers that were growing uh, uh, botanicals that are growing local in Ireland, and from the forty, he managed to he eliminated eighteen and, and came up with twenty-two that were sustainable, but also he felt that they were the right uh, profile to to create the flavour of the the wasiness.
0: It seems to me that that gin is becoming sort of more widely consumed than even just a few years ago. Yeah,
2: yeah, very popular at the moment. Uh, we've seen it, and I think you know as I said we only started making it in 2010 so just over five, uh, five years ago and I think um, we've seen in the last five years there's been a huge demand and it's, it's certainly helping, you know, we we feel that we, we got on the scene at the right time Yeah, yeah the, the the design
0: of the Botanist bottle is yeah. quite unique yeah. and I can say the same thing about the design of, of the Brooklady bottle here that you've brought in. How important is, is marketing and, and, and sort of we'll call it shelf appeal to yeah, products like I mean, this?
2: we've um, had a, a different approach on it so we're we're very traditional in how we make whisky, and you know we're uh, um, we're very uh, focused so that we don't um, you know compromise these traditions. But when it comes to our packaging, we want to take a different approach. We don't we move away from the traditional side of, of you know the way that uh, whisky would appear uh, on you know traditionally with you know your stand, your your standard clear bottle, and sometimes with a, a a stag's head on the bottle or a you know a tartan leaf. We've taken a more modern approach, more trendier, using the colors, the colors of the substance and they have a meaning. But it, it, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we are uh, we are very proud that we have a modern style packaging and it's it, it's out with the contemporary, um, uh, the the traditional feel of, of what a uh, Scotch would look like.
0: Would you say that's teal?
2: It's a teal colored bottle yeah, almost? We it, call it, it aquamarine. And aquamarine, it's, yeah, yeah. And it actually comes from the color of the sea uh, around the islands. Um and when you fly over Isla, or if you're flying to Isla, um, there's certain sandy beaches, and the reflection of the sandy beaches against the blue uh, the blue sea, it comes up with that aquamarine color. Um, it's,
0: it's a very uh, striking bottle. Yeah.
2: And I see it, that must be your signature that it bears on the front. Yeah, well, that's actually Jim's signature. So Jim is the, the, the head distiller. So I haven't got my name on the bottle yet, but hopefully it will be very soon. Once you're promoted from yeah. Yeah. just the yeah. distillery
0: manager. Yeah, yeah. Alan, thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, yeah no, it's been a pleasure. It's Thank you. A safe to say, and, and many listeners, are, are, are chiming in as well, as saying yeah. that you do indeed have a very cool job. Yeah. Well, this is uh, Alan Logan, distillery manager uh, for both Brookladdy and, of course, the, uh, the botanist, Jin, as well, to answer your question. We'll be back to wrap here on the Ryan Jesperson Show after this quick break. This is the Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. The smell here in studio... I can tell you, they just uh, popped open a couple of those bottles, including uh, Alan Logan, by the way, distillery manager at at Brooklady, who just joined us, a scotch for those that are in the know, Octomore. It's called Octomore, the most heavily peated scotch in the world. Uh, It sort of gives off an aroma like a house fire. It's quite quite an intense, kind of a smoky essence to it. Pretty powerful stuff. Thanks for being part of the conversation today. We wanted to let you know the reason why we featured really cool jobs today. It's unusual to hear it Tuesday at 1130 is because tomorrow is a very special day. All hands on deck here. It's the annual 630 Ched Heart Pledge Day will be broadcasting live from the Mazenkowski Heart Institute. We've got a great series of shows in store. Bruce Bowie will be there. I will as well. Of course, the 630 chat Afternoon News Team, all part of our commitment to Heart Pledge Day. We're very much looking forward to it, and we hope that you'll join us. Oilers now coming up next. Of course, it's game day, as if I had to tell you that. The Senators in town tonight. If you'll be there at the barn, I'll see you there Make it a great Tuesday, everybody. News is coming right up.